was accepted by the people and the religious officials because it supported the status quo and made the people feel secure. Just like when our lives go well, we want to maintain the lifestyle we have and don't want to rock the boat. That is what Israel is doing. They are wealthy and content, and so they have a hard time seeing what's wrong with them. That is why God sent Amos to examine what is really going on. Secondly, the perspective of Amos' prophecy is unique. His prophecy is wider than most of other prophets. For example, uh, he did not refer to God as the God of Israel, as the other prophet did. Instead, he thought of him and referred to him as the God of the whole earth, who dressed over the affairs of all nations. As Robin mentioned last week, Amos grouped Judah and Israel with Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Eden, Ammon, and Moab. So God is in control of all nations. They are all accountable to him. So Amos viewed Judah and Israel as the two among many nations that God would judge for the same, same sin. Third, um, in the last chapter, Amos showed God's promise of the three stages of ultimate restoration, which Mona will cover. So in today's chapter, 3 to 6, uh, Amos addressed two major areas of Israel's sin, idolatry and social injustice. It kept coming back and over and over again. So let's see chapter 3, 1 to 2. Hear this word, <clears throat> people of Israel. The word of the Lord has spoken against you, against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. The expression, hear this word, which is repeated four times in chapter 3, 4, 5, 8. So hear this word means to hear with a mind to obey. You know, as a parent, we, after we lecture to our kid, we often ask, did you hear what I said? You know, what we are really asking is, are you going to do what I said? Right? <laughs> so what does Israel have to hear and obey? Amos was to bring out the old story. God chose them as a chosen people and brought them out of Egypt, which was the fundamental act of God's grace, love, and care. So Israel's exodus from Egypt comes up all the time, over and over again, in the Old Testament because it is the central act of redemption. Throughout the Old Testament, God always called Israel to look back and remember what, remember that He was the one who freed them from Egypt. On the other hand, the central act of redemption in the New Testament and in God's whole plan of redemption is the work of Jesus on the cross. So in the same way, 
we are called to look back and remember what Jesus did on the cross for us to live in the life with freedom. So verse 2, God made a clear connection between the great privilege of Israel and the great responsibility this privilege brings. Israel here means both Israel and Judah, the whole family. God had singled them out from all other nations and separate them and deliver them from the slavery and brought them into the promised land and enter with them into covenant, called them to be a holy nation and rebuild himself and made known his will to them exclusively. This privilege required and expected higher responsibility and standard. They were chosen not to be pampered or overindulged, but to be servant and priest to reach the whole world. But Israel and later Judah completely mistook the implication of being the chosen people. They took comfort from the fact that they were God's elect. They thought that being chosen means they must be recipient of God's favor and a guarantee of their safety. However, their rebellion, disobedience, unbelief, continual rejection of God's truth, and, and the warnings of his prophets were subject to God's rest and punishment, not his care and protection. 1 Peter 2-10 said, but you are a chosen people, means we Christian, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So as Christians, we are chosen people. So our privilege and blessings always bring more responsibility. Uh, when Stanley Jones, a missionary, met with uh, Mahatma Gandhi, he asked him, hey, Mr. Gandhi, though you quote the words of Christ often, why is that you appear to so adamantly reject being his follower. Gandhi replied, Oh, I don't reject Christ. I love Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike Christ. How embarrassing to hear that. So as this passage goes on, we can see how to take a responsibility as Christians. So let's see verses 3 to 4. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Does a lion roar in the thicket when it has no prey? Does it grow in its den when it has got nothing? So verses 3 to 8, a series of questions like this show a cause and effect relationship. So to God's covenant with Israel. People don't travel together 
without making plans to meet up. And birds don't get caught in trap unless they obey cause and effect. So this question shows that nothing happens in Israel that is outside of God's sovereignty. The point is that if you are going to claim that Yahweh is the God you worship, then you will learn to care about the things that Yahweh cares about. But you didn't. So your sin has brought on your own judgment. Uh, I said earlier that Amos was a shepherd and a farmer who didn't have a prophetic credentials. So Israel didn't believe his uh, God's condemnation and told Amos to shut up in chapter 2. So by defending his ministry, in verse 7 and 8, he said, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servant, the prophet. The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Amos said that he could not announce such a calamity since uh, he announced only what God revealed to him, but must announce that. It is all from God, not any secondary sword. So don't kill the messenger. So what is he saying about the judgment here is that it is intended because you did not walk with God. You believe that God would always bring help and no harm, but has forgotten that his covenant provides for curses for the disobedient as well as blessings for the faithfulness. And it is deserved because of your moral corruption, idolatry, and social injustice. God has established the connection between sin and suffering. It is prepared. The judgment is not an accident or fate or bad luck. It is arranged. It is warned. God does not punish without warnings. He has warned them of consequences of sin and given them countless opportunities to repent. Nature warns, prophet warns, and your conscience warns. There are no surprises. It is divine. God is in all. It will be the hand of God. It will be executed. His threats are not empty words. He has said it and will do and will perform. And there is no possibility of escape unless you turn around and seek God. Then Amos called the Gentile nation Ashdod and Egypt to come and witness what's happening in Israel. Ashdod and Egypt were former oppressors of Israel. But things were so bad in Israel, now that Amos is sarcastically asking them to witness Israel's internal oppression. It's like saying, you brought, you thought you oppressed them, you don't even know how to oppress compared to them. Watch them oppress themselves. So the saddest thing is in verse 10, they do not know 
how to do right. Israel had so long ignored and defied God's law and were so bounded by their greed and idolatry, they didn't even know what's right and wrong anymore. So wrongdoing had become their second nature. The consequences of this behavior is in uh, verse 12. This is what the Lord says. As a shepherd rescues from the lion's mouth only two leg bones or a piece of an ear, so will the Israelite living in Samaria will be rescued with only the head of a bed and a piece of fabric from a couch. I think Amos is the only prophet who can give a description like this because he is a shepherd. Historically, when a shepherd watches over a flock of sheep, he is financially responsible for any sheep that wander off. So when a lion or other predator <coughs> attack one of sheep, even if the shepherd couldn't save his life, he would try to recover some of the sheep's body to prove it was attacked and killed. This would assure the owner of the flock that the shepherd was stealing sheep and lying to his employer. So he is free himself from the financial burden of replacing the sheep. So what Amos is saying is that just as a shepherd would quickly grab what small portion from the lion's mouth he could get and run away, Israel is going to grab quickly and take away. And the destruction would be so severe that only a remnant would be saved, like two leg bones or a piece of an ear of a sheep, being saved from a lion's mouth. And even the most powerful and wealthy will be regarded, if saved, as worthless savage, like a piece of fabric from a couch. This judgment is going to be devastating. <coughs> so chapter four, uh, verses one to five, list two reasons for judgment. First, they oppress the poor, and the second, they engage in idolatrous worship. Let's see verse one. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, and said to your husband, bring us more drinks. So Bishan was one of the most prosperous area of Israel, and known for its rich soil and fat cows. So as a shepherd and farmer, Amos wanted to get the point across to the indulgent wealthy women of Israel, so he called them fat cows. <laughs> Even though the plumness was the value as affluence, beauty, or blessing in ancient time, there is no human history as a woman appreciated being called the fat cow. <laughs> Uh, speaking, speaking of cow, I saw a funny picture. Can you read? He's dead. <laughs> He's in a doghouse. So, it's not a sin to be wealthy. 
there are great characters in the Bible who were wealthy, like um, Abraham, David, and Solomon. The things we have to pay attention to are how to get wealthy and how to use your wealth. These women here were wives of the elite, the princes, and officials of Israel. They make them themselves powerful and rich at the expense of others. Their prosperity was purchased by oppressing the poor and needy, even selling them into slavery. This illegal and immoral slavery came as the result of overtaxation and land grabbing. These prideful and self-seeking people cheat on pervert justice, cheat and pervert justice to get rich. Can you see where this cow is standing? Poor people's house, houses, their lives. And then they use their wealth purely on aimless leisure, selfish pleasure, and the luxurious lifestyle, not the glory of God. So underneath it all was horrible moral corruption and the false worship. So Amos calling these women as fat cows was not about fat shaming, but making reference to their sin of greed and injustice. So oppression, greed, injustice, moral corruption. Aren't we glad we don't have to deal with those anymore? <laughs> what Dalai Lama said is very relatable to this issue. People were created to be loved. Things were created to be used. The reason why the world is in chaos is because things are being loved and people are being used. It is very profound observation. Kind of sad, we still have to deal with the same issues which happened and which is probably born against almost 3,000 years ago. So while social injustice and moral corruption was rampant, the religious zeal of Israel was at an all-time high. So verses 4 to 5, go to Bethel and sin, go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifice every morning and your tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as a thank offering and bread about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelite, for this is what you love to do, declares the Sovereign Lord. Normally, a priest would say, come to Bethel to worship. But Amos called people to call and come to Bethel and Gilgal to sin. It would like Scott saying, hey, come to our church to sin. It is mockery. There are three reasons for his sarcastic remarks. First, their worship is corrupt worship. Not only was their worship of God mixed with idols, but also they worship in their own way at their own preferred places. Their worship was at Bethel and Gilgal, and Beersheba was also mentioned in chapter 5. The reason Jeroboam set shrine at 
Bethel, and Gilgal, whereas Jerusalem is too far away. But Beersheba is further down south of Jerusalem. <coughs> so Jerusalem is here, Beersheba is here. So Beersheba formerly belonged to Judah, but was now in the hands of the ten tribes and where idolatrous worship was practiced. So it seems like they were willing to go anywhere except Jerusalem. And then they worship, they worship by non-Levite priests over the golden calf with a leavened bread. So this kind of whatever I feel like doing worship was unacceptable and dishonoring to God. Second, their worship is a former worship. They were devoted in sacrifice of thanksgiving and free will offerings and zealous in their tithing and punctual in their ritual. All these uh, observances were prescribed in the Mosaic law. But the sin of Israel lay right there. While they were attending to these observances, they were worshiping idols too, which is breaking the first and second commandments of the ten. Israel loved the former worship rituals, but they had no intention of turning from their sin and evil behavior. Their worship is selfish worship. The sacrifice and tithing that they did was to impress other people. They did worship to please themselves, not God. It is always wrong to measure worship by how it pleases us, because sometimes corrupt and disobedient worship to be delightfully pleasing. So we should not measure worship by how it makes us feel. We measure it by how it honors God. So did you find anything in common with how Israel worship and how you worship? I hope not. But it is a good thing to think about. So in short, Israel's worship is the worship of false gods and the false worship of the true God. And then God reminds Israel of five past calamities and blame their refusal of repent. God has sent different calamities upon them at different times. These calamities seem to grow increasingly intense, beginning with the attack on the food supply like famine, drought, plague, and um, insects. They continue by destroying the inhabitants with plagues and military action, and finally conclude the total destruction of some of the towns after the fashion of Sodom and Gomorrah. Despite these calamities, Israel have not returned to God. A couple of weeks ago, and uh, Scott said in his sermon, at this, uh, the saddest word in the Bible is that after Jesus' death, Peter said, I'll go fishing. Do you remember that? So personally, I think the saddest word which God said is here, yet you have not returned to me. Not just once, 
He said it five times. Here some people only see God's punishment, but what I see is God's patience. He tries so many times, and it also shows His mercy because we see that He started out with just less severe measures, only to prevent the necessity of harsher calamity. Because the purpose of these calamities were redemptive, not just punitive. The point here is that God's judgments are not arbitrary, but he already has said blessings for the obedient and curse for the disobedient in his covenant. So Amos was not announcing something new, but simply enforcing God's existing covenant. No matter what happened, Israel's hard hearts remain closed. So finally, Israel was warned to be prepared to meet God face to face. One pastor said, I can think of no more intimidating situation in this life than to be in unrepentant sin and hear the words, prepare to meet your God. But it was time for sin to stop, and it was time for justice to be done. Chapter 5. Uh, chapter 5 is combined with two chiastic structures. The first one is verses 1 to 17. The second one is uh, verses 18 to 27. The Amos' message is not just stop doing this, but also how to stop doing these things, that is the most important message. Here he pleaded five times for Israel's repentance, as if he wanted want to match Israel's five denied, yet you has not returned to me. So, seek the Lord and leave. Seek not Bethel or Gilgal. Seek the Lord and leave. Seek the sovereign creator. Seek good and not evil. The word seek God is very important in Amos' message. For Amos, seek God means seeking good, doing justice and righteousness, and worshiping God in the right way, and seeking the word of God. God also gave them a compelling reason for doing so. So first, you should seek God and leave because your empty and superficial rituals could not save you. And second, you should seek God and leave so that you don't end up like a pile of ashes when God's fire goes through the house. The third reason is that God will be with you if you do good, not evil. God still calls for their return, as if it's not over until it's over. So Eugene Peterson said in 2 Peter 3.9, God isn't laid with his promise as some measure of ladies. He is restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. I want this kind of patience, don't you? 
Then Amos talked about two accusations, which legal, legal injustice and religious hypocrisy. See, these two things keep coming back and over and over again. Uh, motivated by greed, they had perverted the justice system. They manipulate the poor economically. They oppress good and poor people by taking bribes. Consequently, they had uh, produced a society that was biased against the poor. The poor were defrauded of their rights and have no way to get justice because they bribed judges and hated honest judges and despised people who tell the truth. Out of that, they have created lavish lifestyle. Regarding uh, religious hypocrisy, God himself used colorful words such as hate, despise, stench, not accept, no regard, away with, not listen, to express how much he was displeased with their religious feasts, gatherings, offerings, and even music. Here, God, acting as his own priest, pronounces that Israel's worship is unfit for him, not because of ritual impurity, but because it doesn't come with acts of justice and righteousness. It is superficial, does not impact the way you live, and have nothing to do with God's character. It is worship of hypocrites. Amos' core message sits at the center of the chiasm structure, verses 8 to 9 and 24. The first core message is that while you are doing all this injustice, don't forget whom you are dealing with. God is sovereign over all creation and the righteous judge of all things. Remember who God really is. The second core message is the most famous verse in Amos. Verse 24 said, But let justice roll on like a river, a righteousness like a never-failing stream. Amos used justice and righteousness together constantly. So what's the difference? between justice and righteousness. A theologian David Hubbard said, if there are shades of differences to be discerned, justice puts some slight emphasis on establishing and preserving order in society by righting wrongs and punishing the wrongdoers, while righteousness emphasizes the relationship that covenantal society entails and insists that each partner in the covenant do all that is necessary to keep the covenant working right. Both words center in action on behalf of the poor, the underrepresented, and the oppressed, as our immediate contact in Amos suggests. Because justice and righteousness are the essential activities of God, they must become prime duty of God's people, including us. 
So what's the purpose of worship? The purpose of worship is to come to know who God is and what God does so that we imitate his character and his activity as his children. So if such imitation is not present, worship is worthless. While Hosea emphasized God's love, grace, and mercy, and forgiveness, Amos was a vigorous spokesman for God's justice and righteousness. That is why Amos is called the prophet of social justice. He calls for social justice as the crucial expression of true piety. Martin Luther King Jr. once said that a great nation is compassionate nation. He also said that we have become comfortable with the presence of the poor because we overlook their existence. The poor in our countries have been shut out of our minds and driven from the mainstream of our societies because we have allowed them to become invisible. This is the same complaint Amos is talking about. So how we Christians treat others reveals how your, our relationship with God is. So Jesus said, the greatest of all the commandments is to love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the message of Amos. We still live in a world of injustice and social unbalance in wealth. The poor, the needy seem invisible to us. That doesn't mean they are not there to continue to suffer. So because we are chosen people of God, so that privilege comes with responsibility. So let us embrace Amos' teaching by showing our faith by our actions, and showing our worship by our goodness, and showing our love to God by our care to others, like today. Thank you. Yeah.